What's kind of fascinating is that there's actually been these big debates among scientists of like, what's the true smell of human poop? <laughs> and so they've actually done like all of these experiments and, and tried to like distill like what's the essence of it. Hey guys, I'm Eric Olson and welcome to another episode of Synapse on Science Centric. Synapse is our signature discussion series where we engage in thought-provoking conversations with scientists, journalists, authors, and other thought leaders. Our guest in this episode is Bryn Nelson, a Seattle-based journalist who specializes in scientific, environmental, medical, and travel-related stories. His crappy new book, and I mean that quite literally, is called Flush, The Remarkable Science of an Unlikely Treasure. And it's all about humanity's relationship to our poop and how we can improve upon that relationship. But before we dive in, uh, okay, maybe that's a poor choice for words. A couple of quick reminders. For one, you can help keep this podcast going by rating this episode or writing us a review on whichever platform you're listening on. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much all the major podcast platforms. Number two, if you like what we do here, you can help support us directly through Patreon. We have a number of benefits over there, including early access to new episodes, ad-free episodes, and a monthly patrons-only Q&A with me where you can suggest new show topics or guests. Check out the show notes or visit sciencecentric.com support for more info. Now with that out of the way, let's get the scoop on poop. So Bryn, welcome to the show. Awesome to have you as a guest. Uh, awesome to have you uh, as I think our second live guest and we're here at your at your home in Seattle. So thank you for, for having us here. Yeah, with thank, you. thanks so much, Eric. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Great to be here. Um, so my first question for you is, um, you know, why a book about poop? Like, how did you get <laughs> interested in this topic? Right, right. And then, and then, how did the how did the book come about? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so my training is in microbiology. Um, so I went to graduate school at the University of Washington here in Seattle. So I've always been interested in in microbes. Um, and as a science writer, I um, I did a feature story on fecal transplants for a publication called Mosaic. Uh -huh. And that was back in uh, 2014. And I kind of became obsessed with this topic. Uh, you know, the feature story did pretty well. Um, you know, I was hearing from patients and patient advocates that what was holding the therapy back wasn't the know-how, it was the disgust. Mm. And so a lot of them were forced to do these DIY uh, treatments at home you know, basically a fecal enema at home with, you know, things that you would get from the drugstore. And it was shocking to me, but also just fascinating uh, how you go from a folk remedy, essentially, that's laughed at, to something that's in the mainstream of science. And, you know, to the point where poop becomes a commodity mm -hmm. and people are paid money to be donors. And... You know, there was just such a, 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 a dichotomy there of something that was, you know, disgusting and you know, people were laughing at it. On the other hand, it was so wildly effective. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people were basically on their deathbed and were cured. Uh, so, so that kind of got me started. Um, I started uh, then just 
It basically any story that I could find that had to do with reuse and our relationship with our bodies and and eventually it basically snowballed from there and <laughs> so to speak yeah um, <laughs> uh, but, but, but it actually got me curious about uh, what has value and that's one of the central themes in the book mm -hmm. is what has value and, and the things that we assign value to um, is often very, very subjective and, and nature has um, different ideas <laughs> of, of, of what really has value. Right. So it was that paradox between, um, you know, uh, this disgust that people have and, but the also usefulness of those, of those things. Yes. And, and, and maybe like you're saying, the devaluing of, of human excrement. Yeah. Um, whereas there's 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 actually a history there, which yes. we, which we'll get to yeah. um, about you know about how we can can use it use it and how people have used it in the past. Right. Um, so um, I guess my question is that I mean even even reading your book, I actually you know I, I was like eating something and reading it at the same time. And I was like, okay, I got to stop reading this book because I'm getting like, I'm getting kind of grossed out by this. Um, I can't, I can't read this and eat at the same time. Like I got to take a break. Um, so there really is that sort of visceral disgust with, with poop, right? right? Where does that come from? Why, why do we have this visceral reaction? Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a really f uh, fascinating uh, evolutionary history to disgust and um, you know, it's all, I guess, hypotheses, but, but basically the idea that we are disgusted or most disgusted by things that we feel are most likely to harm us. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are different categories of disgust. Um, they tend to be, um, one is sort of like bodily secretion. So it's, it's disgust of pathogens, pathogen disgust. Um, so things like poop, pee but also uh, rats, uh, cockroaches. Mm -hmm. You know, I happen to be, you know, horribly disgusted by cockroaches. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, other things, slimy things, uh, people who look unwell, yeah. uh, you know, sweaty, greasy. So those are, those are all kind of a category. Um, there's also uh, sexual disgust. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, disgust by different uh, types of sexual practices and, and disgust by the thought of having sex with someone, right? Um, and then there's also moral disgust. So things like lying, cheating, stealing, um, things that we find um, abhorrent. Um, and so there, there's, you know, there's all kinds of um, hypotheses about, about kind of how these have evolved, but, but generally speaking, um, there's this kind of uh, a baseline level of disgust that kind of tells us to avoid things that could potentially be dangerous. So uh, uh, some researchers have likened it to uh, like a behavioral immune system, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so that we avoid things. And, and that can kind of come across even in uh, shorthand, you know, when I was growing up um, as a small kid, uh, my parents had these green stickers and it was called Mr. Yuck. Mm -hmm. And you would specifically put those on um, household cleaners or things like that. And it was kind of the, the grimace, you know, like the, the, the face of disgust. Yeah. But that was sort of the shorthand for this is yucky, avoid it. 
Yeah. You know, and that was, you know, literally to protect uh, kids uh, yeah. from ingesting poison. Yeah. So that was, you know, that's, so that's one example of, of how it has, um, you know, perhaps evolved to protect us. You know, of course, then uh, in excess, it can work <laughs> the other way and, and, and harm us as well. Right. So that's another theme of the book. So, but it's not unfounded that, that we have this disgust no, absolutely with, with not. excrement and, and yeah. don't want to, you yeah. know, don't want to be around it. No, um, no, and in fact, um, uh, you know, if you ask people around the world what disgusts them most, uh, poop is is pretty high on the list everywhere. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so right. th this is not it's not it's not country specific, um, and that's a pretty good clue that that you know it's not just a cultural thing that that that, right. that, that it's somewhat hardwired into yeah. us to have yeah. that level of yeah. disgust. And what what is it that um, you know? There's certain smells, for example. What what what's in there that's that's cueing us in that this is something that is oh gosh um, well there's a there there's a fascinating mix of, of chemicals um, and I think uh, surpri <laughs> surprising um, uh, so there's there there are things that are, are are pretty obvious like putrescine you know uh -huh. so putrescine everyone you know <laughs> kind of knows about you know things that smell putrid. Um, there is indole, uh, which is another uh, a chemical, and um, some people describe it as smelling like mothballs. Some people mm. describe it as smelling like poop, um, but it actually can be used in small amounts in perfumes and ah. in ice cream and and other <laughs> things. Yeah, so um, so there are these all of these chemicals. When you have a lot of it, it may smell one way. When you have just a little bit of it, it actually might be a perfume. Um, interesting. Uh, really jasmine, interesting. for example, has a little bit of indole in yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so there are a number of different uh, chemicals. And what's kind of fascinating is that there's actually been these big debates among scientists of like, what's the true smell of human poop? <laughs> and so they've actually done like all of these experiments and, and tried to like distill like what's the essence of it, which is kind of funny. Um, but but yeah, I mean that is cueing us. You know, smell can yeah. be a huge trigger for disgust. Um, and so yeah, I mean you immediately smell something. You know, that's in the garbage, or you know, you go by a public toilet that hasn't been cleaned, and I mean you you know instantly that's yeah. something to avoid. Yeah, yeah. So 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 smell is huge. I mean, but it's but it's interesting because we're still learning exactly what is it that we're cueing? Mm -hmm. Is it the mix, you know, of these chemicals? And how is that sort of triggering this emotion, this really intense emotion right. of disgust? I wanted to back up just just a second. We're talking about uh, disgust uh, with with uh, crap. I don't know. What, I don't know if you can say shit on YouTube. I guess we'll find out. Um, but uh, what what actually is poop? Ah, good question. So we so we have these chemicals coming out of it that that stink yeah. to us or disgust yeah. to us. But what actually is poop? Yeah. Um, so a good proportion of poop is actually microbes, um, both living and dead. And um, you know there have been various experiments where they've tried to uh, researchers have tried to come up with you know what's the percentage, um, but typically it's around forty to fifty percent of the dry weight of poop is actually microbes. And why that's interesting and useful is that is essentially a sample of your inner microbiome. Okay. 
Um, so, you know, we have a tremendous diversity of microbes living inside of us, uh, primarily bacteria, but also viruses, also archaea, mm -hmm. um, sometimes uh, fungi as well. And so uh, I liken it to kind of like a, a, a rainforest in miniature, you know, because you have predators, you have prey. It's really fascinating, and they're all kind of living in this kind of coexistence and in this habitat that we've created for them. Yeah. Um, and doing some remarkable things. Uh, so, so it's essentially a sample of yeah. what's going on inside. And that can tell uh, uh, us a lot of things about diet, um, as well um, fiber mm -hmm. uh, from plants. So you're going to have both soluble and insoluble fiber. And of course, that depends on your diet. So uh, if you eat a diet that's high in fiber, you're going to have more. And as a result, uh, you're going to have bulkier poop. Right. Um, if you eat a diet that is very low in fiber, then it, you, you'll, you'll probably uh, tend to have much smaller weight. Um, and then you have uh, a number of nutrients. Um, so the nutrients that we take in, uh, we use a lot of them, but then we expel a lot of the other ones. Um, so things like phosphorus, things like nitrogen, potassium. Um, and it turns out that these are really great nutrients for plants. Okay. Um, and what's really interesting is that it goes beyond uh, the synthetic uh, fertilizers because when you think of synthetic fertilizers, you think about phosphorus, potassium, nitrogen. Those right. are usually the three. Um, we are much more of a complete plant food, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> right? Um, so feeding the plants, but also conditioning the soil. And so that, that, that characteristic has actually been extremely useful uh, when you think about reuse for things like compost. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, because it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's plant food. Yeah. And it, but it's also soil conditioner. Right. Um, so, those are, so those are sort of the main things. Um, you know, the, the, the microbes, obviously water, most of it, probably three-fourths is water. Yeah. But then uh, the microbes, the fiber, uh, the, the nutrients, and then, you know, some assorted odds and ends, you know, yeah. sometimes, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals or chemicals, you know, depending on what we've ingested. I just wanted to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this episode, FlowSpark Media. So FlowSpark Media is the video-based media company that I founded in 2018. In addition to producing freely available series like the one you're listening to, we also help science and technology-focused organizations to develop, create, and manage their video projects. Our clients range from major scientific publishers to space telecom companies to STEM-focused educational programs. Head over to flowspark.com creative to find out how we can help you with your next project. Now back to the show. Now you did something, you did a bit of an experiment with this, probably more extreme than most people would, would go, but I imagine this, that was in part for this book. Right. But um, you, you download like three apps um, that, that can monitor your, your own stools. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so I guess my question is what, you know, what was that a valuable experience? How long did you do it? And is it something that you would recommend that uh, other people do? <laughs> Uh, the, the apps, um, 
they're 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 quite useful. Basically, it's sort of an observation aid, is how I look at it, right? I mean, you could do it with a notepad. Um, you don't have to have special apps. I mean, these are kind of funny. I mean, one's called Plop, um, one's called Poo Keeper. Um, there are uh, there are undoubtedly many more, um, and I'm actually still doing it. I did it for I wanted to do it for at least a year. Uh, for the book, um, and then I just sort of got in the habit, so I'm still doing it. You know, I would recommend that maybe people try it for a month, mm -hmm. just to get in the habit of kind of um, observing, yeah. uh, you know, their output. And and I think the thing is, you know, we, we I, I think people maybe don't like to admit it to other people, but I think we all sort of secretly are, you know, <laughs> taking a look anyway right so we should just kind of you know embrace that right? right because yeah. because there's 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 actually a lot of extraordinarily useful things that you can tell about your body just from very very simple visual cues yeah um you know so there's a bristol stool scale um it's a seven point scale and this is basically uh, giving you cues about uh transit time through your body mm -hmm. okay so um you know, diarrhea, obviously, that's obvious. Um, and then you have on the other end, constipation, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, so so there are, there are, there's the Bristol stool scale, and then people have kind of added their own flourishes, and, you know, it's rabbit droppings, and, you know, <laughs> corn on the cob, and, you know, food items, which is, which is, <laughs> which is maybe not the best <laughs> thing to associate this with food, grapes, and <laughs> sausage. But... Um, but as a scale, it's actually quite useful um, because you get to learn what your baseline is of like what's normal for you. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. if, if things are going well, you're feeling relatively healthy, this is your baseline so that you know when you deviate from that, you know, for three, four days in a row, you know, suddenly you're at one end or the other. That can be an indication that, you know, things aren't going as they should. Yeah. Um, color is is also uh, a really interesting uh, and useful one you know typically uh, poop is brown mm -hmm. uh, for babies there can be more colors it can be green it can be yellow <laughs> there can be a lot of it, it can be explosive yes I have two kids so I, I've been I've been through that there you go you get yeah and as I think you pointed out in the book it's like you get a lot more interested in in, in you know Reading the reading the feces when you have kids for sure. Absolutely, yeah. yeah kids, dogs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pets, you, yeah. You, you tend to have these conversations on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, but it but it but it's useful. I mean, and um, you know, uh, you know, even um, yellow or green as an adult can tell you that you're maybe uh, not digesting food properly. It's going through your body too quickly. Yeah. And the reason for that is uh, normally uh, 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 poop is brown because it's a breakdown in uh, bilirubin, I believe it is, um, which is you know part of the bile that is is secreted by your liver. Right. I think I'm getting this right. And and it starts out green. And then it degrades over time, and it and it and it becomes brown. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's not a sufficient time for it to degrade, by the time it leaves your body, it'll still be green. Mm -hmm. And so that can tell you that perhaps uh, you're having um, you know some some issues with malabsorption. Uh, uh, you know that the, the the transit is 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 too quick. Yeah. Um, so when when it goes through too fast, when you have say diarrhea. It's, I mean, obviously a lot more water content. Is yes, that basically right. what's sort of driving the 
you know, differences there? Well, like that, it's going through so fast that the water can't be extracted? That would be a separate issue. Um, the, and that is, typically, that is typically your body trying to flush something out as quickly as possible. Yeah. Right. Um, and that can be anything from a bacterial infection to overly spicy food. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some motility disorders um, that are associated with, with diarrhea. Uh, any number of drugs can give you uh, diarrhea. Um, the color is more, um, it can be, you know, a, a stool that's fairly well formed, but it may appear differently just because of the degree to which um, you may have malabsorption issues. Yeah. So, so, so it can be slightly similar. I mean, you can have, uh, you know, uh, a diarrhea that's appearing more green in color, but but typically, the color inconsistency can mean, you know, different things. Different things. Yeah. So, do the apps? Do these apps actually tell you this? They they like interpret what 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 you know, visually so, what's happening? Yeah, I mean, some of them try to do, and that would be my caution uh, to people who are attempting this, or, or just uh, trying this. I mean, there, there's a very easy, uh, you know, color scale that you pick, and then kind of the stool scale, and then any notes, you know, is it okay. especially stinky? Um, you know, if you had corn the previous night, you know. <laughs> beets. At, at what, exactly, beets, at what point is it appearing? Yeah. Because that's fairly obvious. Um, you can take pictures um, to send them to your doctor. Um, I guess that's probably the main intent as opposed to sharing them with your friends. Uh, <laughs> please don't. You, please, no, no, please, please, please don't, folks. Please, please, no. please don't do that. Uh, no, one want, no one wants to see that uh, from your friends. But, but um, it is, uh, it's very useful for ob observing and uh, uh, kind of figuring out what's going on with your own yeah. body. I think some of them have tried to interpret that and i think that i would be a little bit more wary about yeah. because if you're if you're really concerned you should go to your doctor right you know right. and and not leave it to an app and in fact yeah. i think uh some you know uh artificial intelligence algorithms have tried to train on uh you know color and consistency combinations um and i'm i'm not completely convinced that they're you know, uh, fully accurate. I think, you know, still the best bet is, you know, if you're concerned and yeah, there's a picture and you send it to your doctor and you're like, this doesn't look right. Yeah. That would be, you know, the, the thing that you do first. Yeah. In my opinion. So leave the AI out of it. I would. I mean, I just don't think we're there. I just don't think we're there yet with it. And, you know, there's even a, uh, a toilet that is an AI toilet and oh, wow. um, is trying to, it has cameras and it has monitors and sensors, but it's, you're sort of outsourcing your observation, right? Yeah. And yeah. so it's basically saying, well, you don't have to do anything differently because we'll do all the work. But then you have no idea of knowing like, okay, is this, but is this accurate? And, you know, what are you giving up by just you yeah. know, not looking. Yeah. yeah. Because it's a pretty easy thing to do. It's I, it's probably true of you know, that's true of like a lot of medical right. things. You you are you know your body better than anybody right. else. So Absolutely. Like, you, you know, know you know it. Yeah. I mean if you're you're seeing the exact same thing, you know, generally speaking twenty five days in a row and then, you know, five days it's it's completely off. You know something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Hey, I just wanted to take a quick pause to thank another one of our sponsors. HostGator. HostGator is one of the world's top 10 largest web hosting companies with over 8 million hosted domains. They have around-the-clock support, 
and all shared web hosting plans include a 45-day money-back guarantee. I've personally used HostGator since 2008 for all of my hosting needs and couldn't be happier. Sign up today using the promo code SCIENCECENTRIC and you'll receive 25% off any new hosting plan. So, so we're talking about you know personal health and, and monitoring personal health by uh, inspecting our our crap in the toilet, uh, which actually I, I got to say, like after reading after reading your book, I'm actually doing that a lot more than really? I probably was. I'm like because I know a lot more about what I'm supposed to be looking at. Yeah. You know, it's, um, so you give a crap. I give a crap about my crap now. Um, Perfect. Uh, but I think what got me. Uh, interested in your book is this and you know i have a genetics background is this idea of 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 sifting through you know municipal waste mm -hmm. to look for clues about disease and population health yeah um and that that really started and picked up steam because of the covid pandemic yes. um do you do you actually think that's a, a useful approach and um, do you do you think we're going to see like more of that or um Yes. What, what, what I mean, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Um, so wastewater epidemiology actually has a long history, and it was used initially for polio mm. uh, back in the 30s, actually, which was a shock to me that it had been around so long. And um, it was actually a group at Yale University who first, um, I believe the first two cities they found it in were uh, Detroit and Charleston, South Carolina, during uh, polio outbreaks. Mm. And so they uh, had, you know, f fairly crude experiments for the time because then they were, you know, trying to isolate uh, the, the virus and inject monkeys with it. And so that part was a little gruesome. And thankfully, we have much more refined <laughs> methods now. So, so of, of let me just this. ask, though, what were they screening? Like, how were they screening for things? Because they didn't have, you know, genomic... No. PCR DNA sequencing at that no, time. No, basically what they were doing is capturing wastewater and seeing if they could uh, replicate the symptoms of polio oh. in lab animals. Oh, okay. You know, and um, and they were able to do that and and basically uh, prove that the the places where they had sampled at least some of those places had. Um, Polio virus that was still active and able to infect uh, uh, humans and, and animals. Uh, you know that uh, the the refinement of the that, that method now is such that you can do uh, PCR tests that are looking for the presence of DNA or RNA. Yeah. Um, and and it's become actually an incredibly useful uh, public health tool. Uh, in, in the same way that, you know, one of the researchers compared it to uh, when we had uh, the West Nile outbreak uh, that happened in New York, I believe it was in 1999. And one of the very useful environmental indicators is that you started to see crows literally dropping from the sky oh. um, because the, the virus was infecting the crows. That actually became a really useful warning to people in the areas where they had dead crows, and they were literally counting dead crows um, as a way to figure out where you might see outbreaks mm -hmm. of the virus. Um, 
wastewater epidemiology is you're you're basically sampling municipal waste um, although you can do it even at the 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 level of a building but typically from a wastewater treatment plant mm -hmm. and you're looking specifically at the presence of the the pathogens of concern so polio uh, covid and monkeypox now uh, have all been um, detected at the level of wastewater treatment plants yeah. so that you know that it's in a community. We, what you can do then is you can go up the sewer shed to the level of uh, separate parts of the city and, and try and figure out where in a city it is. You know, so once you know it's in uh, London or New York, you can then uh, go into some of the utility holes, mm. do your swabbing there, and you know from your flow pattern kind of where the, you know, where those sewage is going and what, it, what it's drawing from, what part of the city. Yeah. Um, and so that's been in incredibly effective at, um, at giving people a head start. And you know, of course the, the, the question is, well, what do you do with that head start? Right. Then that's a question of you know, public health. Yeah. What kind of resources yeah. are you gonna bring to bear on that? Is yeah. it a priority? Um, but in the book, um, I do talk about a couple instances um, at the University of Arizona and at a uh, facility in Yuma, Arizona, a date packing plant, where they used it uh, uh, very effectively during the COVID pandemic to help protect students and workers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, I, so I do think that it's incredibly useful. Um, you've seen a ramp up in the infrastructure I think with the reemergence of uh, polio in London and New York, for example, um, and we're probably going to see other viruses popping up. Uh, this is something that I really strongly feel we should be building up now that we have this capacity. Yeah. You know, um, because this isn't going to be the last pandemic. Yes, as as we we're already learning <laughs> much sooner than I yeah. thought we would. But yeah. 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 So yeah. So it's a fa it's a it's a fascinating uh, field of study and. I, I think that it's proven itself. Do you think that um, in a big, like a big city, like um, you know, you know where we're at, New York or Seattle, that you know you can get a level of specificity to actually do something? Though you know, you're talking about you know kind of going upstream to mm -hmm. get more specific, but you know how specific do you have to get to? Oh, it's we know it's in this office in this particular building. I mean, I don't think we could get to that level of... Well, you, I mean, it depends on what your goal is. Um, you know, so in some cities, for example, we know that not everyone was at equal risk for COVID, right? So there were some socioeconomic factors that made people more at risk. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they had to work. They couldn't quarantine, you know, they couldn't isolate. Um, and if you divide up a city into you know 10 parts 15 parts or whatever so that you're getting to the neighborhood level you can over time get a trend of saying okay well we're having a consistent problem in this neighborhood let's overlay some of this uh, socioeconomic data on that and and figure out you know are these people at higher risk if so what can we do can we you know have a vaccine clinic uh, can we um, you know make sure that everyone has masks if they need them can right. we do more um, outreach you know answer questions um, so 
so that's a uh, that's a very useful thing to do. You can do it at the level of a building or a dorm, even if they have a separate kind of uh, um, sewer outtake mm -hmm. pipe, and you can sample right there, and you know that the sewage is coming from the inhabitants of of the of the dorm or workers in a building. And so at this uh, date packing plant in Yuma they were actually able to detect a silent outbreak mm -hmm. where a couple of the workers had COVID, they didn't have symptoms. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, the, the, the sewage, uh, they, you know, they would make sure that they were testing, you know, after a certain break, after people had used the bathroom on, you know, specific days of the week. Um, and because of that, then they were able to uh, sort of bring in um, a health department um, to do testing mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. for the individuals. And, and so the, the, the workers who had an infection uh, were sent home with pay, you know, and asked to isolate for a while. And what was great about it is that they were able to avert a much wider outbreak, yeah. you know, because of that. And I think it also then, um, you know, instilled in uh, the people there that they were trying to protect, mm -hmm. you know, the workers. And so what was interesting is by being really transparent and, uh, you know, explaining what they knew, what they didn't know, why they were doing it, what they hoped to learn, when it came time for uh, uh, a vaccination drive, almost every single worker was like, yeah, I'll do yeah. it. Yeah. You know, so so because so, they knew they were at risk. Right? They knew like, they were at risk, but yeah, they also so. had the trust of, of, you know, the people who were doing the testing and they were, uh, you know, being told, you know, explicitly, this is why we're doing it. Yeah. This is what we know. This is what we don't know. And, you know, we're happy to answer any questions. Yeah. So it can actually be a really useful tool yeah. to gain the trust of populations so that you have the type of uh, public health um, uh, follow-up that you need to protect people. Is there um, any way that the public can access this data currently about wastewater epidemiology? Is yes, a, oh, um, okay, cool. a lot of a lot of communities actually have dashboards oh. um, that are Very that cool. are uh, publicly uh, available. Um, you know, and it depends on the state and the location. Uh, but yeah, in a lot of cases, it's actually uh, folded into some of the other indicators. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll have like a hospitalization rate, for example. Um, you'll have the test positivity rate. Um, you know, what are the number of cases? Um, and then you'll, what are the, the relative levels of in, in the wastewater? And, you know, that's still kind of an imperfect science because you know, you, you can't necessarily say based on this level, we have X number of cases, yeah, right? right? But what you can say is following the trend over time, you know, it was really low and suddenly we see the spike. And, and typically uh, what they've learned is that spike um, can predate when you see an uptick in clinical cases by a week. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it does give you some, some, you know, some time if you're doing it right. But yeah, a, a lot of um, a lot of uh, states and municipalities that are still using it have uh, publicly available dashboards so that you can look and and see. Um, there's a company called Biobot that's doing a lot of testing. 
um, and they have a dashboard that you can look at, and they've oh, divided cool. up the country, you know, in into regions, and so you can say, oh yeah, you know, the 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 west has more right now than the you know the eastern region. Do you think do you think that will be expanded into into other? I know that people have been like looking at, um, you know, just more general things like diet and you know obesity rates. I think they can they can know you know based on uh, you know. Uh, microbiome kind of stuff, you know, obesity rates and, and quality of diet and things like that. I mean, do you think it'll be where, where you could, I'm just like imagining a future where you go to this dashboard and you go, you know what, I know a lot of information about this neighborhood because right. we've got, we know, you know, right. everything that's in their yeah, crap. Is this, is this like, a good neighborhood to move into? <laughs> well, and it <laughs> let could me, be. Let me look at the wastewater It data. could be, yeah. used, it could yeah. be used in that way, yeah. which is also, you know, yeah. that's an ethical issue, I yes. think, but. Um, yeah. No, there, you're right. I mean, there, there, there are indications, uh, at a community level uh, based on uh, like antidepressants, uh, mm -hmm. based on, yeah, uh, you know, beta blockers, based on, you know, the different types of pharmaceuticals, you can, you can form sort of a profile. Mm -hmm. um, and there, and it's, it's imperfect, of course, um, but there are sort of proxies, you know, of, of income, you know, based on the type of uh, chemicals that you're seeing, uh, you know, the pharmaceuticals. Uh, you know, uh, communities have used this a lot for drug, for monitoring drug use. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm, uh, opioids, yeah. for example, is, is a huge, uh, you know, that's another pandemic that's going on right now. And so um, actually uh, Biobot, the company that's, that's doing a lot of, of, of testing of, of wastewater, um, was initially uh, focusing more on opioids mm. in, in some communities and kind of again with the idea of trying to direct some of the public health resources to some of the hardest hit areas. Um, but yeah, as you get more information and as you get more of a granular view of what a neighborhood might be like, you do have these ethical issues like who deserves to know this yeah, and yeah. like how specific can you be? Can you, you know, get to a block level and say, okay, well, you know, yeah. let's tell you about the characteristics of the people on this block as opposed to this other block. So I think that I think there is going to be, um, you know, ethical issues that we're going to have to wrestle with yeah. and address. And so I think that should be part of the science now yeah. because that's coming. Yeah. Um, and and, you know, I, I there was an effort in Australia uh, where they did something like that. Um, but they were essentially uh, profiling some different communities and uh, could learn a surprising amount, you know, just based on what they found in, in, in the sewer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think I read something that Amazon was developing some kind of monitoring thing for your toilet. Uh, and I was like, oh boy, here we go. This is- Well, yeah, the, internet, the internet of things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, and let me be on the record, like, I, like the internet of things should not be extending to your toilet. <laughs> like, it just, no, no. Um, so and, and that's, and, and, and actually one of the funny things about this, this toilet that was being de developed, I think it was uh, uh, some engineers from Stanford and uh, had a little fun with it in the book, you know, maybe at their expense, but, I think in the right situation, you know, probably has value in a medical setting. Um, mm. But the problem is, is that the more technology you add, the more problems you create mm. that then technology has to address. <laughs> and so one of the, the really funny things about this toilet is it has a number of cameras that are going to monitor, you know, how much is your output, you know, that'll also be monitoring, I guess, your urine. 
Um, but they didn't know who would be using the toilet at any given time. And so the, the solution was to have a camera that would basically be taking a picture of your your butthole, yeah. your, your anaderm, <laughs> right? Anaderm, yeah. I your remember anaderm. That, that phrase, yes. That's and, a new one, new and, yeah, word yes. for, for, for Wordle or whatever. Here's, here, yeah, yeah here's, your, here's your word of the day, anaderm. Uh, but, but, but then they realized that they had to uh, beef up the, the security mm. because, <laughs> you know, then you didn't want people hacking into the system and I guess, you know, having pictures of your, your individual anaderm. I mean, it, it is kind of like a fingerprint, you know, in a way, so it can uh, yeah. identify individuals. But it was just kind of a case of, do we really need to have all of this information automated? Or can we just be more observant? Right, right, right. right. And, and, you know, and technology can, can help us. So I'm not anti-technology and, and I've, you know, the, the apps that I'm using, yeah. you know, are technology, but I think there's a limit, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to how far, we can or should, you know, take it until we, we we sort of learn a little bit more about you know the accuracy and the security. Yeah, and I absolutely. think right, I think right now the Internet of Things uh, just you know should should not be in in your toilet. <laughs> yeah, and as we've seen with other you know social like Facebook <laughs> and and how they use that data and stuff, it's it's got to be there's it's got to be transparent in how to right. how how that data is being. Used, yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah. How's it being used? Who has access to yeah. it? And yeah. um, yeah, so I mean, there are obviously, um, you know, there are going to be privacy concerns, there's going to be ethical concerns, you know, in a number of different um, applications of yeah. this. I mean, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't go forward with it, but I think we need to have that in mind. Sorry for the interruption. I swear, I swear, this is the last one. I just wanted to tell you about the reading room that we have set up over at sciencecentric.com. It's a page dedicated to cool science and nature books many of them written by authors who have appeared on this show. Any book you purchase through the links on the page directly supports the podcast and the other amazing projects we have in the works. The nice thing is there's no additional cost to you. So if you'd like to see a nice collection of science books uh, that you can purchase, head over to sciencecentric.com and check out our reading room. Okay, so I wanted to switch gears a little bit. We, We talked about how people are using uh, waste, human waste, for you know, epidemiological uh, health reasons. Yeah. But, but how are people using waste um, to, you know, for en- environmental purposes? What, how, you know, what, are, what are some cool and interesting things that people are doing instead of just right. you know, treating it and flushing it into the ocean, which is right. pretty much, right? I mean, that's the main way we get rid of right. waste still in the, in the, in the West, right. industrialized West. Yeah, um, we uh, still either burn or landfill uh, a surprising amount of, of, of waste, and I forget what the, the, the last estimate is, but, you know, it is, uh, I believe, like a 30 to 40 percent, you know, is combined is, is either uh, landfilled or burned. And, and I think that's a tremendous waste. I mean, you, you're not necessarily uh, uh, getting rid of the problem because then you have your landfill, uh, you know, and landfills can leak and, you know, leach um, uh, both the, uh, the, the chemicals and then you have methane that can escape from, from landfills. And we know that methane is a potent greenhouse gas. Right. 
Um, so yeah, so there have been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of technology around. Well, how do we recapture some of this other potential? And so one of one of the ways that we can do that is through uh, what's called anaerobic digestion, mm -hmm. and that is basically mimicking what goes on in your gut. Mm -hmm. um, you have anaerobes uh, that are archaea. And archaea, um, uh, the methanogens, are the ones that produce methane gas as part of their metabolism. Um, so it's sort of a, it's a complicated kind of synergy with other bacteria, but they kind of uh, are using the byproducts of, of digestion as, you know, the, the different, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, in the woods, one animal is sort of like picking up the leftovers of, of something, uh, you know, another animal. And so our, our, our archaea, our methanogens, um, make methane gas. And so, you know, you can, you can tell that through pyroflatulence, which is basically <laughs> lighting, lighting your farts on fire. And let me go on the record and say that you should not do that. It is dangerous. It works. It's not a myth. Do you know this from experience? It is not no? a myth. I haven't. I haven't <laughs> tried this. Uh, there is. There was an episode on MythBusters where they actually proved this. Oh my uh, gosh. Uh, yes. So that is a thing, um, but it is not a. It is not a safe thing, and and um, you shouldn't try that at home. Okay. Um, noted. 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 <laughs> but uh, what uh, what engineers and scientists have figured out is that in uh, these anaerobic digestion vats, you can kind of recreate on a much bigger scale what's going on. And uh, the waste goes in, um, you have the, the regular bacteria as well as these archaea bacteria in your vats, and you can get a substantial amount of biogas that's formed. Mm. And, and biogas is, is uh, incredibly useful because uh, you can use it to make electricity um, you can use it for uh, steam heat, mm -hmm. um, and you can also create gas, compressed gas. And in fact, a wastewater treatment plant that I visited in Norway, in Oslo, was using the biogas that they were creating to power 15% uh, of their bus fleet. Oh, wow. Municipal buses. Wow. Uh, as well as some other vehicles. So, so it's incredibly useful. and. Um, a lot of wastewater treatment plants, in fact, have used that production to help cut down on their carbon footprint mm -hmm. um, to sort of make it uh, kind of like a more, uh, 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 you know, a cyclical, uh, you know, production because uh, processing our waste can be incredibly energy intensive, mm -hmm. you know, so that anything that they can do to kind of cut down on that, that consumption is going to help quite a bit. And so, um, a lot of wastewater plants have actually become these sort of engines of ingenuity and kind of how do we reuse this and how do we reuse that? And, yeah. Um, so that's one, uh, I think, really exciting example. Um, and obviously there are environmental benefits of that. I guess back to your question of how that benefits the environment because you're cutting down on greenhouse gases um, and you're uh, you know, avoiding what would be these pollutants mm -hmm. uh, that you're so, bearing. So, so let me just interject. So the so like the process for for processing this this waste this mm. you know human poo basically uh and urine is you're 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 taking it and you're digesting it further mm -hmm. beyond what it's how how it's already come out semi-digested and then and right. then extracting that gas right. from that digestion 
Right. So, they, so does it go into like some kind of big digester, mm -hmm. essentially? It's, it's, it, it, yeah, it, it's basically, um, and there are different types that people use, but they're basically like these big tanks. Mm -hmm. um, so part of the uh, wastewater treatment process is you're already using microbes uh, because microbes are really useful at breaking down um, uh, organic waste. Mm -hmm. And so the goal is that you want to break it down from a more complex form to a simpler form and also a form that can harm you, that has pathogens, to a form that's going to be less harmful, yeah. right? Um, so, so microbes are really useful for doing that. But then these specific kinds of microbes, you know, that they've, they've learned, are also really good at uh, basically using the food source, which is kind of other dead microbes that they're feasting on, mm. and, and organic material. That's the food source Oh, for I them. see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's not necessarily the waste... I mean, it's not, not the... It's the processed waste at that point. It's yeah. basically, it's basically uh, you know, just uh, uh, carbon, mm -hmm. you know, um, that, they're, that they're able to use. Uh, and so, yeah, as, as part of that basically feasting on, you know, kind of bacterial debris, mm -hmm. you know, and, and uh, yeah, bits of organic material, they are then able to produce this gas. I see. Um, so, so you're basically convert, you're, you're converting, you're taking the starting material, you're converting it to something useful. What you're then left with after this process is kind of the remaining solids. Mm -hmm. um, but those can be then reused as compost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and there are different ways to do that as well. Uh, but this goes back to the idea that, um, poop has microbes and it has nutrients in it and it turns out that well this is this is how nature works yes, right? right you know yeah. i mean for for millions and millions of years <laughs> you know a bear poops in the woods and then green plants grow right, from right. that right well we're no we're no different um we, we may have you know different diets um but uh we've figured out how to do that you know safely to to kill all of the pathogens and what's pretty remarkable about it is that very rich um, compost material can then be used for farms, but it can also be used to remediate landscapes. Mm. So if you have a fire, for example, you can use uh, the compost to kind of help with your forest regeneration. Mm -hmm. um, and the same thing has happened with a number of different, um, uh, even Superfund sites where they have had uh, coal mines, they have had um, uh, uh, sand and gravel mines, they have had some contaminated soils, and they have found that biosolids basically give you the substrate to grow plants, mm -hmm. but can also help uh, decontaminate the soil. I see. Um, so like lead or arsenic contaminated soil, for example, uh, biosolids are really good at both diluting out some of those contaminants and then also by the nature, kind of the clay-like nature of that, uh, some of those particles will actually stick mm -hmm. to the, the substrate okay. and make it unavailable for plants. Okay. So you can actually detoxify some of these contaminated landscapes in place yeah. instead of having to kind of scrape off all of the soil and you know put it in a, a landfill or okay. something like that. Okay. You know, so there is a potential there as well. So so, so yeah. just just to just to kind of you know simplify it. So so 
you have this stream of municipal waste. Yeah. One of the things that you can get from it is this biogas. Yeah. The other one is solids. Yeah. Is there anything else that we can pull off of that? Yes. Um, you can also take out phosphorus. Okay. Um, so uh, phosphorus is essential for plants. It's one of the essential nutrients for plants. And uh, there's been a lot of concern about uh, what's been called peak phosphorus, but this idea that the phosphorus cycle, you know, takes a long time because you basically have these rocks uh, that kind of weather erode. You can get phosphorus from that. You know, phosphorus is used. It then goes flows back into you know waterways, into the ocean, goes back down to the bottom, sinks. So there's a long kind of process over time by which phosphorus is recycled. Uh -huh. The problem is that a lot of the accessible stores of phosphorus that we have are being depleted. And so there's a lot of concern over the availability of this. Um, and it turns out that one of the problems with wastewater uh, oftentimes is excess phosphorus. Because we know that if, if you have too much phosphorus, oh, yeah. if you have too much nitrogen, you can actually cause these really uh, catastrophic uh, uh, algal blooms right. that uh, create dead zones yeah. in the water. I know there's a big one off, like, um, flowing off the Mississippi mm -hmm. into the Gulf, in the Gulf of, of Mexico. There's yeah. a big one uh, there and, and a number of other places. So, so excess phosphorus and nitrogen in places where they shouldn't be uh, can be extremely harmful uh, environmentally. Yeah. So one of the very clever solutions is, well, instead of ha you know, having this excess there and trying to figure out other ways to kind of remediate that, why don't we capture the phosphorus, which we need anyway, but in a form that we can reuse? And so uh, one wastewater treatment plant in uh, Oregon, uh, it's called Clean Water Services. Um, it's just uh, to the west of Portland. Um, but they've developed a technique where you basically are able to form these little pellets. Mm -hmm. They're basically little phosphorus pellets. And uh, it's a very ingenious system. And you can then essentially sell these back to farmers mm -hmm. as, 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 as phosphorus. And one of the, I think, really brilliant things is that this type of phosphorus actually works with the plants. When the plants are hungry, for lack of a better word, <laughs> um, and they want more nutrients, uh, they will um, send out an acid to acidify the soil, and that kind of makes the uh, minerals in the surrounding soil more bioavailable uh -huh, to the plants, uh -huh. right? So they have used this exact same process for these phosphorus pellets. So the pellets are relatively water insoluble, mm -hmm. which means that they won't wash out into uh, the streams and cause the same kind of pollution. I see. Um, so they you know, sink down into the soil. When the plants use that, they will send out this acid. I think it's, I want to say citric acid. Yeah. Um, and then the, the pellets start to release the phosphorus. So it is entirely uh, dependent on the plant cues that they need more. And so it's working with nature. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so that to me was just such an elegant example of taking something that would be kind of disastrous in excess, but something that we also need 
in other places that are falling short of and how do you make it much more efficient and use it in a way that the plants want right right um so that's another example of things that we're extracting uh, from yeah from from sewage so to kind of bring it back to where we started with this conversation we were talking about disgust right mm -hmm. so i don't think anybody has an issue with biogas right because yeah. you just burn it right but as you've sort of highlighted in the book there's a lot of there's still a lot of stigma around these biosolids and right. and, and um, right. the phosphorus um, right and i would say i mean the pho the phosphorus may be less so because what you're getting is is little pellets there but i think the disgust is certainly an issue with compost and uh, soil amendments and it's also an issue with water reclamation mm -hmm. um, because another you know very important thing that we can get from wastewater is water you know yeah. it's basically reclaiming water um and so the idea you know that it's you know, poo water and, uh, you know, or we're just basically, you know, spraying poop on plants, you know, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a mental image there that's not pretty. And so I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done um, to, you know, convince people that it's safe, uh, you know, that that's well regulated, mm -hmm. but then also talk to people about kind of uh, how does nature work? Right, and, and it, let's, let's think about the ways that things have been done on mm -hmm. the planet for, for eons. Yeah. And this really isn't any different than mm -hmm. that. You know, so it's the same as water. Like, so water reclamation, for example, um, the idea that all water is recycled on Earth, you know, is, is I think an important concept to get across to people. You know, and, and uh, there have been, you know, other authors who have suggested that, you know, the water that we're drinking now was dinosaur pee, you know, there, <laughs> are, all, that, there are other, <laughs> you know, there, yes, that's a good image. Well, and, 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 you know, being science people, you, you know, you, you, you can really say like, yeah, that's, that molecule is, doesn't change or that element doesn't change. Right. right. It's, it's, you know, right. that, you know, that right. rationally, you right. know, that. But there's still that visceral thing. Yes, we can grasp that, you know, mentally. But it, it, but it's also hard to get over the psychology of it. And so I think one of the things that can be really helpful is that when people see for themselves, how is this made safe? And so for me, I went to uh, the groundwater um, Orange County groundwater replenishment system, and it is the largest uh, facility of its kind in the world. And I took a tour. And they were pointing out the different uh, methods of purifying the water. And it's right next door to the wastewater treatment plant. So the wastewater treatment plant treats the water to a certain level. Then it basically goes next door and then starts another round of, of treatment. And so you start with uh, microfiltration, there's reverse osmosis, there's ultraviolet radiation, radiation and um, uh, treatment with hydrogen peroxide. And at each step, you can kind of see how the water is becoming increasingly clean. Mm -hmm. And at one point along the tour, there's this sort of triple sink, and it shows what the water looks like after various treatment steps. And the two outer sinks, uh, one is kind of like a pale yellow, and the other one is, is pretty gross. <laughs> um, and the one in the middle is pure water. Yeah. And you know there are cups, yeah. <laughs> and so there's a little bit of peer pressure there. Of okay, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a drink of this now, um, and of course it just tastes like water. 
and and I think one of the important things is that water is so clean um, that if you were going to use it as drinking water, you actually have to add minerals back because it's effectively distilled water. Yeah. There's nothing in it. It's just pure H2O. It's just pure H2O, yeah. and it would start leaching some of your minerals from your body. Yeah. Um, so it turns out that that is perfect for brewers because it's a blank slate. They can recreate any kind of uh, city water profile they want, such as Munich, um, <laughs> and they can create beer with it. Uh -huh. um, and so beer has actually became, become a conduit for having these discussions and for getting people kind of past the psychological barrier. Yeah. Um, so that's water. Uh, compost, um, you know, it's the same thing basically as, as seeing as believing. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, again, uh, knowing what the treatment steps are, knowing what it's tested for, what are the regulations, um, I think utilities really have an obligation to be clear and transparent with people about here's what we test for, here's how regularly, here's the test scores that you can, you know, you can find. Um, but I think also just kind of uh, seeing it and smelling it. Yeah. You know, for me, that was a big barrier. And I use it in my gardens. I've used it in the vegetable gardens. I've used it in the flower gardens because I wanted to practice what I preach. <laughs> I wasn't going to make anyone do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but seeing the product and, and smelling it and basically understanding, well, this is, you know, this is a, at this point, it's, it's essentially uh, dirt. You know, it's a soil amendment. And it happens to be extraordinarily effective for uh, nourishing plants. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one um, uh, program in Tacoma, uh, just south of here, uh, has created an entire uh, community gardening program around their product, which is called Tagro, which is short for Tacoma Grow. And it is a recycled biosolid uh, soil amendment, mm -hmm. perfectly safe. Um, and it's incredible because you can see these gardens and see how flourishing the plants are. Um, and so this is distributed free of charge to these gardens. They're not required to use it. They can use typical compost. But when the gardeners who aren't using it see what their neighbor's vegetables look like with it, <laughs> they, are, they're, they're, they, they're, they, they said, I want that, yeah. I, want, I want that. Um, so, so that's been a, a really successful program and it basically is sort of a catalyst for communities coming together to garden. Um, so that's been kind of an extraordinary thing to, to, to see um, and tour. But I think uh, ultimately it just comes down to, you know, seeing is believing and um, being able to trust the utility or the government entity that is producing this. Yeah, right. And so, so there, it really is incumbent upon them to be transparent yeah. and to say, okay, we get it. We understand there's a disgust factor here. Let's help you get past it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, well, we're running short on time, so I think we'll end there. Okay. Um, but this has been a fascinating discussion. The you know we we barely scratched the uh, the surface of flesh. <laughs> dips dips Dip, below dipped, the surface. Dipped our hand in. Uh, right. Dipped our hand in. So, um, but yes, the book again. The book is flesh. Um, and then. This will be available uh, in September. September 13th. And yep, you can pre-order it. And um, where else can people find you online? Okay, um, so people can find me either on Twitter. Um, I'm Seattle Bryn. 
uh, or they can go to my website, which is uh, uh, brynnelson.com. And uh, more than happy to answer any questions that people might have. <laughs> any of their crappy questions. Any of their crappy questions, <laughs> bring them on. <laughs> All, right. All right, awesome, Brynn, right. thanks so much. Been great yeah. talking to you. Thanks so much, Eric, All right, appreciate great. it. Well, that's it for this show. I hope you learned a lot and perhaps you'll look at poop in a whole new way. Personally, I'm going to take a pass on the apps to document what's in the bowl. Be sure to write us a review on iTunes or whichever platform you happen to be listening on. Also remember, you can support us directly on Patreon or through purchases made on our website at no added cost to you. Head over to sciencecentric.com support for more info. ScienceCentric is a FlowSpark Media production. Our producer for this episode was Alexander James. Guest booking was handled by Melissa David. Until next time, I'm Eric Olson.